So things haven't turned out as you hoped. Life took a turn. A bump. A darkened sky. And at times it may have seemed there was no hope. But here's the good news. Our God is the God of fresh starts. Our God is the God of new beginnings. Our God brings new mercies, new compassions, not just once a year, not just when things are bad, but every single morning. This season has been tough. And for many of us, things will never be the same. But we are here, breathing, maybe smiling, or crying, or shouting, or laughing. But we are here, feeling, maybe fighting, or cheering, or seeking, or grieving, but we are here living and we are not alone our God is here our God is with us and our God is the God of new creations Our God is the God of new creations. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's discouraging to try to live every day to God's glory when I'm struggling and fighting and battling with my sinful nature. I'm constantly drawn by the devil back into old sins I've committed again and again. And it, it, it's, it's just not... It's, it's exhausting. Let's put it that way. It's tiring to keep the battle going. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, the help that Jesus wants to give us so that we can keep the battle going and not give up the fight against sin and strive to live every day for God's glory. So we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6 this morning. Uh, you can follow along if you'd like to, Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, and here's what it says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we have been united with him in a death like this. 
we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. So I don't know about you, you get to the gym these days, if you get to the gym in January, you might find it a little frustrating. I have a friend, Rick is his name, he detests January at the gym, not because he doesn't love to work out, he loves to work out. But you know what always happens every January at the gym? New resolutions happen. And so the gym, all of a sudden, has been empty in December because of all of the holidays, and now you can't find a free weight, a machine, a treadmill. It starts to look like that. And that frustrates my friend Rick. And it frustrates him because not just because the gym is full, but also because in a way, kind of in a weird way, you'd think, well, he, he hopes for that time when the gym is going to empty out again, as it always does year after year, when the resolution begins to die out. But he also finds it kind of discouraging. His job is... is to encourage pastors to stay healthy, physically, mentally, emotionally. And, and so when he sees people give up on their resolutions, that also is about as frustrating as not being able to find a, a resistance training machine or a set of free weights that he can use. But this happens all the time, doesn't it? You notice that even about yourself and maybe about yourself in your own battle with sin, as Paul's talking about here. Put up that next slide. I want to show you something. It's official. This is a quote, by the way. February 1st is the day we call it quits on our New Year's resolutions. According to new research, a new poll of 2,000 Americans found that it takes just 32 days for the average person to finally break their resolutions, but 68% report giving up their resolutions even sooner than that. It's one thing 
to give up your resolution to work out. And as you'll see on the next slide, actually many of us who make that resolution to work out more and get healthier in the new year, we end those resolutions even sooner than February 1st. Put that up. Research conducted by Strava, the social network for athletes, has discovered that Saturday, January 12th, is the fateful day of New Year's resolutions for working out. After analyzing more than 31.5 million online global activities last January, Strava was able to pinpoint the date when most people report failing their resolutions. 12 days. And if that's how we treat our physical fitness, how much more our spiritual fitness? You see, the Apostle Paul in Romans 6, he's, he's laid it all out in the first five chapters. Here's, here's the condition you were found in by God. Sinful, lost, weak, unable to, to follow God's commands no matter how strong your resolutions were. But God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you, to forgive you, to give you his grace and eternal life. And then in Romans 6, what we're reading today, Paul turns to this idea. And God did all that so he could create a new people for himself. Yes, God did that so that you could be forgiven and have eternal life. No doubt. That's the baseline. That's the foundation. But not just that. God did that also so that right here, right now, starting today, you could begin with his help, in his strength, by his grace and power, to keep your resolutions, to fight back against your own sinful nature, to fight back against death and Satan, and not just fight back, but accomplish victories in that battle. And what he's telling us today is the reason that's possible for you to be not just a victim of the devil, but a victor over the devil, is that you are now no longer under your old ownership, the ownership of sin, but you are under new ownership the ownership of God's grace in Jesus Christ. I want to start here with the reality of our new ownership. We're going to talk about the reality of our new ownership today. We're going to talk about the meaning of our new ownership. And then finally, I hope this will be super hopeful for you, the, the possibilities that our new ownership brings. So let's talk first about what Paul says about the reality of our new ownership. First of all, he says in verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into God. Uh, baptism, sorry. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You know, one of, the, one of the most famous passages, one of the most famous things Jesus himself ever says is, I am the resurrection and the life. 
And, and rightfully so, we often think of that in terms of death, that when we die, we're going to die and our body will go on the grave and our, our soul will go up to heaven to be reunited one day with God for eternity where we'll spend forever enjoying God's love, enjoying an existence as it was in the Garden of Eden. But I don't believe that Jesus was limiting our understanding of I am the resurrection and the life to eternal life. Or maybe a way to put a twist on that is to say, when does eternal life for you and me really begin? Is there another way to think about the resurrection? And the answer throughout the Bible is we can look at the resurrection and the life as when, when our bodies rise from the grave and are reunited to our souls and we enter into heaven. And equally at the same time, we can look at the resurrection and the life as the moment the Holy Spirit drew us to faith in Jesus Christ. In our souls, we were raised up to God. That's when eternal life begins for everyone who believes. That means the moment you came to faith, you got to enjoy the resurrection and the life, and you are in that resurrection and life sitting here today in this church with all its power, with all its victory. You are already living the life the life of grace and strength and power and the willingness to fight back against sin that God wanted you to have all along. Notice in verse 4, he uses the past tense. If you look at that verse carefully, we were therefore buried with him. That's done. It's a done deal. How did that happen? Through baptism. Many of you probably know that in in the uh, early days of the church, baptism had this beautiful picture, not that it has to be done this way, that was an imitation of the way Jew Jews did their ritual washings, in which they were led down into a, a bath carved in stone, and the bath would have been quite full, and they would have been immersed in this water, and then come back out of this water in what was called a mikvah, a baptism bath. And what a beautiful picture that is, right? That in baptism, we are buried, and then we rise again. Early Christians could see the beautiful picture of that. Yes, through baptism, I've already risen. I've already been buried, as Paul said. But he also says, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may now, starting today, live a new life. Now, I started this message by sharing with you my, my own self-disappointment, my own discouragement sometimes in my own battle with sin, because it can be hard. But we can make it harder on ourselves by constantly harking back to the impossibility of ever living a pure and holy life. Yes, in this life, until we die and go to heaven, it's impossible. And that is one side of the truth. But I'm going to encourage you on the basis of what Paul says here today. Don't only think about that. 
realize that in Christ, in your baptism, in faith, Paul says it so beautifully here, we also have the power and the authority to keep fighting and win victories over our sinful nature. I don't know what your pet sin is. Maybe you could roll out a little list of sins that you struggle with, from the, the sins that hit you internally, like discouragement or pride. Or you could think of things that you struggle with that are more outside, how you use your mouth, how you use your hands and your feet. Are you always strong to work, or do you sometimes say, my hands and my feet, they need to be resting in the bed right now where I can enjoy my pillow? We can sometimes get discouraged at this struggle, but Paul says, start by remembering every day when the sun rises, my faith and my baptism are my ticket already handed to me into a new life. Will you write that down? I hope you believe that. That your faith in Jesus and your baptism as a Christian were your ticket into a new life that you're living right now. And, and therefore, what Paul says at the very end, we need to keep recalling to ourselves. The very last verse I read you, we are no longer under sin. Sin shall no longer be your master, Paul writes in verse 14, because you are not under the law, you are under God's grace. You are victors, not victims. What did we just sing a few songs ago? Failures, my failures won't define me. I wrote it on my hand as we were singing that. Why? Because it's exactly what today's message is saying. And that is, we are under new ownership, and that ownership is capable of helping us win victories. So that's the reality. Wake up every morning and go, yes, I still struggle with sin. Paul's going to talk about that. I'm going to show you a verse. But that doesn't mean I don't have this beautiful new owner who wants to give me victory. So let's go on and talk about the meaning of our new ownership. Paul says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. That old self means your sinful self, your sinful nature, your old Adam. We have so many names for it. But that part of you that constantly, even though you're a, a child of God, feels itself dragging you back into sin. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. And I want you to note that word ruled by sin. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, sometimes we struggle with this message, right? And why do, we, why do I struggle when I hear I've been set free from sin, that I'm no longer a slave to sin? Those are bold statements. And what, is, what does Paul really mean when he says such 
bold, strong statements, you're no longer a slave to sin. You've, you've already been set free, especially when in Romans chapter 7, the very next chapter, look at what Paul says. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. What? It seems like he's contradicting himself here. Sold as a slave to sin. He just told us we aren't slaves to sin. Now he says, I'm sold as a slave to sin. He goes on, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. Anybody been there? I want to do the right thing. Oh, not so much today. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I being his new man, the real Paul, the child of God Paul, notice how he identifies himself. Who's the real Paul? To Paul. The real me is my child of God me, not my old Adam sinful nature me. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. doesn't mean God's commandments are wrong. It's something with me and those commandments that is off. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I love how he separates it. I want to encourage you to do that too. When you find yourself Drag back into sin. Would you realize that's not the true you anymore? That because you are under new ownership, the true you is the child of God you, the believer you, the obedient you, the new man you. That's the true you. Now, are you going to sometimes feel like I'm still sold as a slave to sin like Paul mentions here? Because you know yourself. But you can identify that as your sinful nature, not the real you. And the, and the reason that's so important to do, the reason I believe Paul does that here, is to make a clear distinction for himself and to show us that when I wake up in the morning, and I believe some real basic truths, foundational truths, these foundational truths are going to help me in my fight against sin. Foundational truth number one, I already gave to you. I am under new ownership. That's my reality. I want, I, if, I could, if I could get you to wake up every morning in your mind, and see this picture. Put that picture of the restaurant up there. I wish I could get you to see this picture every morning, especially this part of it, so that you would think, ah, oh, yeah, that's true. Not the restaurant, but me. I have new owners, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they control me now. That's reality number one. Reality number two, based on what Paul is saying here, is yes, you are going to slide and slip and be dragged back into sin. But 
that part of you that slips, slides, and is drugged back into sin because you're weak, you know what that is? That's not the real you. That's not who you are to identify yourself as. So every day, remind yourself, the real me is dearly loved child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, but sometimes that doggone sinful nature, the old Adam in me, drags me back as any slave owner wants to do. No doubt you've heard the stories in the Civil War. No doubt you've heard what happens in child trafficking today. If one of those children tries to escape, you think that child trafficker just goes, oh, there's plenty more where that came from. Don't worry about her or him. Nope. They're going to go try to find that child and drag them back into sin. And the devil is no different. He knows where he wants you shackled to him, shackled to death, shackled to your sins. Keep reminding yourself who you really are. And keep reminding yourself of the meaning of your new ownership. And here's what it means. It means you are set free from sin's mastery. Sin may grab you at times. But that's not the same as saying sin is your master. Sin may drag you back, but that's not the same as saying sin owns me. Sin may come after you to recapture you, and that is something to always be respectful of because sin, Satan, and death are formidable enemies. But they will never, as long as you are in Christ and in his grace, ever again master you. And that's the beauty of what Paul is saying here. When we say to ourselves, I've got new owners. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit own me now. Therefore, I am set free from sin's mastery. Here's the last point I want to talk about. We've talked about the reality of the new ownership. This is real, folks. You are under new ownership. We've talked about the meaning that sin can no longer be your master. And now I want to talk about, this is the part I love, the hope, the possibilities I want to I encourage you this morning to imagine, to think to yourself, to create a vision of what does life look like as I continue to get active in the battle against my sins, those pet sins, the ones that hit you by surprise from the side, like you're being T-boned out of the blue, whatever they might be, Whatever you might struggle with, are they things at work? Is there someone at work that annoys you? That you struggle with? You know, people say that most of us never leave our jobs. Instead, we leave our bosses or we leave a coworker. Because they're so aggravating and annoying, we change jobs because of one person. Imagine that. 
Is there something at home that you're struggling with? Are you, as a parent, not getting the respect you believe you deserve from your children or your spouse? Are, are you finding yourself acting selfishly and conversely hurting them, disrespecting them, not giving them, as we read from John chapter 15, the love that reflects the love that Jesus first gave us? Are you disappointed and discouraged by other things going on in your life? Health issues, politics, all the things we could be talking about where we start to think of ourselves as victims rather than victors. Now, what are those for you? I may not know for every one of you. Probably I don't know for many, if not most of you, but you know. And so this last section is for you. It's for you to be, uh, for you to be reminded that Paul says this victory has great meaning for your imagination. You can begin to imagine a life for yourselves in the face of your own sins. You're hurting others, them hurting you. Listen to what he says. Here's what he says. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. I'm going to stop there and pause. I want you to make note of something. Paul, these are not just statements Paul is making. Do you notice that? Look at those verbs. These are commands. These are Paul saying, here's what I want you to do. Number one, count yourself dead to sin. Number two, don't let sin reign in your body or obey its evil desires. He goes on. Do not offer, another command, any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather, command again, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of what? Righteousness. Now, why did I point out that those are all commands? Because sometimes we think that Christianity is almost all about comfort and very little about challenge. Until we read passages like this. And Paul has spent, as I told you before, multiple chapters leading up to chapter 6, offering us tons of comfort that God sent us a Savior in Jesus Christ. You know what he does now? He says, you may be tired. You may dis be discouraged. You may be finding it hard to remind yourself, yep, under new ownership, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, new owners. In my heart, you may be struggling mightily to fight back against sin. What Paul is saying, no more feeling sorry for yourself. 
No more doubting that you have the ability to fight back against your sins. No more giving up. I'm commanding you. Living in the love and the forgiveness and the mercy and grace, I want you to remember what it says here, right here in verse 14. Sin shall no longer be your master. It just, it can't be. It, and it's not going to be. Why? Because you are not under the law, but under God's grace. So get moving. Get obeying. Get following God's command. Count yourself dead to sin. When sin knocks at your door, remind yourself, I'm dead to that way of life. That ain't, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. When sin wants to have you, walk through the commandments. I don't know, again, I don't necessarily, I don't peek at all the things you're doing in your life despite the fact that sometimes people come up to me and say, do you have a camera in my house, Pastor? I don't. But you know, you know where your sinful nature wants to grab hold of you. And Paul says, don't let that guy have control over you. you he doesn't own you anymore. You own him through Jesus. And whatever part of yourself, Paul breaks it down into your your parts. Is it your hand that wants to grab something that doesn't belong to you? Is it your feet that wants to carry you where God doesn't want you to go? Is it your tongue that the devil wants to use to say things that are mean and hurtful to others? What part of you is struggling with the devil coming to grab and what he's saying is, don't do it. Fight back. Keep fighting. No matter how tired you are, you're under new ownership. I hope you'll repeat that as a mantra all week long. I've got new ownership. And refuse to offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. And instead, what does he suggest that you replace that with? Offer yourself to God. Wake up tomorrow morning. Spend the rest of today asking yourself a very simple, straightforward question. How can I offer myself to God for the rest of the day? Tomorrow, when you get out of bed, how can I offer myself to you today? for all that you've done for me, for that love that you first loved with me with, how can I love you and others? And when you do that, here's what I want you to write down. You will be doing exactly this. I will count myself dead to sin and live for righteousness. Will you believe that? I, I started this message by talking about people giving up on their resolutions. Can I show you something that's just, in my mind, ridiculous but true? One in seven Americans never actually believe they'll see their resolution through in the first place. What? You make a New Year's resolution, and immediately you're like, nah. 
In fact, the average person studied would even shell out a staggering $15,748 just to have someone nag them to keep their resolution. Isn't that astounding? Some of you are thinking, I need to be a life coach. I can nag people. I could do that. Fifteen grand. But the key point is, do you believe? And whether it's, do you believe that you can do it when it's making a resolution to get healthier, or whatever else your resolution might be, and especially when you make a resolution to make yourself a sacrifice to God and give Him glory every day, doggone it, people, believe. Believe that you are under new ownership. Believe that God has you. Believe that God has the power and strength you don't have because he does. Your past does no longer define you. What defines you is who you are, a dearly loved child of God. And maybe for the sake of today's message, more importantly than who you are, whose you are. You are God's, and he wants you to live a life that's holy to him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father in heaven, uh, what an awesome thing that you sent your son to purchase us for yourself. Lord, Send your Holy Spirit as well through the power of your words and promises, through the power of the sacraments, to convince us utterly that we are under new ownership. Sin does not own us anymore. You do. And because of your grace and mercy, Lord, and because of your command, we want to follow you to the fullest, offer ourselves as sacrifices to you, and give glory to you in all that we do, Lord. Help us to do just that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's join in the, um, the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come.